Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Lembet Opic on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Good morning to you. If you're in the UK, it's four minutes past seven. Hope you're having a good start to the day. Uh, good afternoon and early evening to our Australian friends and wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the home of free speech. It's TNT Radio with me, Lambert Opic. Uh, coming up in this hour, we'll be talking about the relationship between politics and celebrity. Nigel Farage, who is known to Brits as one of the big heavy hitters in British politics. He was the architect of the Brexit, the departure of the UK from the European Union. He's in the jungle. He's uh, not far from Brisbane, in the rainforest. And yes, Jethro, you do have rainforests in Australia. I've been in there myself. More of that later. Um, So should he be there? Is it right for a politician who is still active in the political forum uh, to be in a celebrity environment? Uh, Perhaps it's a way of reaching out. We'll be talking to Keith Prince, who's a serving politician in the uh, British ruling Conservative Party. Uh, He'll be joining us here on TNT Radio. Then we'll talk about budgetary matters. There's a budget statement. There's an autumn statement being announced this week by the beleaguered Conservative government of the UK. Uh, What do road users think should be in that uh, statement. Road users tend to be pummeled endlessly, uh, taxed almost out of existence and punished for the privilege of using a diesel or an elect- a diesel or a, pe- a petrol vehicle uh, in preference to electric. So we'll speak to Bob Bill, chair of the ABD, Alliance British Drivers, and then we'll speak to Stephen Morris, who is the General Secretary of the Workers of England Union, about what the workers want, what the workers need. Uh, from that budget. All of that uh, coming up with me. I want to go back to some of the comments being made uh, in the chat. It's fascinating, actually. You're very lively today. Uh, there's quite a lot of debate already about the jungle. Uh, that's, that's what we call it. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Just to explain uh, this, if you're not familiar with this, this is a program which is filmed in a piece of rainforest south of Brisbane. And uh, I've been there myself. I know it exists for sure. And the question really is, should Nigel Farage be in there? Uh, Holly says she won't be watching. Uh, Fair enough. Uh, You don't have to watch. It's not mandatory. The only thing that you have to do is listen to uh, TNT radio. Um, Lisa says, uh, oh, how picky. Uh, uh, LOL. I think there's something else going on there. I do keep your calls and comments coming there. The question I'm asking is, should politicians be entitled to appear in reality television? Is it just a bit snobby or picky, to use uh, Lisa's word, uh, to not permit politicians to go into the jungle? I have to tell you that had I been an MP when I went in the, uh, when I was asked to go in the jungle, I would still have gone. I can explain why a little bit later on. I just want to highlight a couple of stories I've seen here before we go to Gemma uh, Cooper. Uh, US tries to halt Australian property sale by ex-Marine's wife. I mentioned this earlier on. What a strange issue uh, where the U.S. is actually stopping a family from selling property in order to to pay for legal charges. That sounds to me like an extraordinary example of rough justice. Uh, If you've got to a stage where you're having to sell property to defend yourself already, it's come to a pretty pass when you're not even allowed to pay for your legal fees by doing that. Is that where we've got to in terms of trying to stop people from expressing uh, their defense case? In this case, uh, Daniel Duggan has been accused of training Chinese pilots 
Um, the inference is that this is somehow bad for American national security. I wonder what you think about that one. Then go to the chat and let me know. And then the new and improved COVID-19 vaccines will be available by Christmas. So who should get one? Well, the suggestion is from Simeon Boykoff, nobody. He congratulates you if you haven't had a vaccine. To my shame, I had three and I have paid the price. Uh, we spent the first hour of my show here on TNT Radio discussing this. Would you go for another vaccine? Uh, and bear in mind, we had a pilot, uh, Alan Dana, who says that vaccine injuries seem to be quite prevalent in the aviation world. And they present a clear and present danger to the safe operation of an aircraft. The evidence is piling up. And then we talked to uh, uh, Peter uh, Pham, who's a lawyer, solicitor, who suggests that a class action might be way, the way to go. Would you get involved in a class action? Uh, do you think that it's worth it? Or do you think the state will always defeat you? Well, uh, we're definitely going to return to the COVID issue later on this week. And I want to hear your views. So go to tntradio.live, uh, express your views on chat, or you can phone in as well. You're welcome uh, to do it either way. Uh, in a moment, we're going to go to Gemma Cooper and devote this this hour uh, to Keith Prince, Bob Bull and Stephen Morris. All of that with me, Lamb Topic, on TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Gemma Cooper, good morning again. It seems to me that the evidence is piling up that the vaccines may have done more harm than good. Yeah, I mean, you, you you can't dispute those facts. I mean, and also the big uh, lawsuit class action being brought here in the UK under the um, Consumer Protection Act, you know, which is the product is faulty. That's a really interesting case. If that they're, they're, they they do seem to think they've got this case, they're going to push through. And um, there's two people <clears throat> bringing that one: um, one who's tragically his wife died, uh, and another man who's he was a software engineer and he can never he can never work again. Um, but behind them are 80 other people. So if the two go through, there's 80 others waiting in the wings. They all stand to get a million pounds each. I mean, it could spell the end for Big Pharma if people around the world start thinking, "Well, what about my heart condition? What about my my high blood pressure? What about that mini?" stroke I had. Hmm. Is it because of a faulty product? It's, it, you yeah. know, there's all sorts of legislation around the edges now that people are taking really interesting times. You know, let's, let's bring it on. I say, I wish them all the very best of luck. Yeah. I think I've been inclined to get involved in this myself. One of the problems I, I'll go into your subject in a moment, but one of the problems I perceive is proving that you're affected. I had witnesses, uh, indeed, uh, somebody came across London to talk me down because I was hallucinating. I sat in a coffee shop until he arrived, and it was quite obvious to him that I had taken leave of my senses. Now, you could say maybe that's how I always am, but it was worse than usual. And it took till 1 p.m. that day. It took about four hours for me to be able to calm down and uh, messed up my day. Um, anyway, uh, what did you want to cover in this uh, in this hour? Well, it's it's a really kind of a, a salient reminder, I think, to all of us that um, the, you know it's not just the last three and a half years and you know psychological tactics and coercion and bullying with regard to a so-called virus and and us taking you know experimental medical procedures that they're trying to control us with. There are lots of things the globalists are using and trying to use with increasing desperation. Um, and I thought it was worth returning to this one because we don't talk about it that much here on the uh, on the UK breakfast show on TNT radio, but it's about the, the increasing push towards a cashless society, not just in the UK, mm. but all around the world. And uh, today uh, it's come out in one of the headlines, the leader, leader of a Scandinavian campaign group um, to keep cash 
uh, he's from Sweden. He is saying when Sweden's almost gone completely cashless now, um, he is saying whatever you do in the UK, don't follow Sweden's example. Don't become cashless. Um, it's causing problems in Sweden. There's a pushback now. Um, and he he's 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 no kind of a shrinking violet. He's the former president of Interpol. He's called Bjorn Eriksson. He's an older guy. Um, he's saying, but the cashless society means real trouble for vulnerable people. Um, you know, we're talking pensioners, we're talking people fleeing domestic abuse, um, we're talking voluntary groups and small businesses, people that don't have a lot of power and don't have a lot of say, basically. He says cash is, you know, they need cash. And he's saying what we should have here in the UK is cash and digital running parallel. He says it is expensive to do that, but so what? Cash has been used for centuries. There's a reason for that. It's because it works. Hey, he is saying that there is a pushback now, um, and, and it's good to see in Sweden because last year, 2022, to just 8% of Swedish people used cash. Um, and it, it, it's, it is causing issues there. One of the former uh, national police commissioners in the country is saying the potential for crime with digital only is actually far, far, far worse than with a, with a society based on a, a cash economy. Um, and he's also saying about the, the level of control with, with cashless uh, can be switched off and switched on. And of course, heavily heavily monitored. So this guy this morning, he's saying, whatever you do, UK, stay with cash. And we have got the Keep It Cash campaign here in the UK, which does absolutely brilliant outreach work every single weekend, traveling to towns and cities all over the country. I think when they first started, there was a little bit of skepticism by the public, but the public now seems to be much more engaged with the Keep It Cash campaign. And also people that didn't, you know, thought at the time of COVID or that that was a thing, but with cash, they can see this is sinister. So it's woken a lot of people up, the kind of relentless push towards a cashless. And there are so many establishments now in Sweden that just say, we, we barred, we've barred cash, we've barred cash. And it's just like the UK, you can do that legally. Businesses are allowed to say, no cash, no cash, even though people go in and say it's legal tender. The business has a legal right to say, no, we want, we want digital, we want digital. So just to have this leader of this Scandinavian campaign group, he formed that group in 2015, in Sweden, because he could see how it was going to go. And that's the way it's gone. And also, I think, uh, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think I am, but Sweden are one of the most heavily uh, microchipped. Um, you know, they use a lot of microchips to get in and out of buildings. So they're quite a compliant, um, ra not race, um, nation. Um, but there is a kickback now. And, and I, th I think there's a kickback here because the globalists, it's not just COVID. It's not just the pandemic. It's cashless. It's central digital banking currencies. It's all sorts of things. Digital ID, net zero, uh, electric vehicles. There's this whole push to make us go a certain way. But kickback and non-compliance, as we've been talking about in the last hour, that's how we win. Uh, I'm looking at the figures. According to UK Finance, the number of cash payments increased a bit, but the proportion of payments made using cash has gone down from 15 to 14 percent over the same time, which means that over 80 percent of all payments are made in a cashless way. Two thoughts about that: I had my when I was robbed in central London, I had my card stolen, and I couldn't get home because I had no way of paying. And I hadn't considered this as a possibility uh, because I just didn't have cash on me. And I could understand at that moment, I was a vulnerable uh, consumer because I didn't have my cards. But the second thing that bothers me more is a friend of mine tried to, tried to deposit, not withdraw, deposit a fairly large sum of money, a few thousand pounds into their account in the bank and the bank refused. And she said, why won't you take it? I said, well, we don't know where you got it. 
And she said, it's my money. And I, I've been saving it and I want to put it in. So she went to another branch of the same same bank. They said, we're not going to let you put it in. And she said, why not? I said, because you've already tried in the other branch. So they were tracking her. They were tracking her around London in her efforts to put money into an account. That's what worries me, Gemma, because it's one small step then to go from there to not being allowed to buy things that the state thinks is bad for you, like red meat, say, or alcohol. Absolutely. And it's one of those things, like like so much with the word orchestration written all over it, it's come out of nowhere and suddenly it's everywhere without our, us being consulted or asked. You know, banks closing at a rate of knots all around the UK, high street mm. banks. So it's, it's difficult to even get into a bank to deposit some cash. Um, and, you know, nobody asked us, We, we you know, is our money in those institutions? We fund them so that they can do their fiat currency lending. Nobody asked the customer if that's what we wanted. The banks were saying, oh, it's everything's online everything's online well you kind of pushed us online because to phone a bank and speak to a human being it's rarer than hen's teeth now isn't it to do that so of course you're gonna mm. it's all dressed up as convenience it's all dressed up as like oh it's for your you know remember like oh for your safety the last three and a half years this is like oh it's safer and it's more convenient and it's you know it protects you it doesn't it's got nothing to do with us on the ground it's to do with you know protecting what they want to bring in which is complete monitor and whole scale surveillance of every single thing we do uh, interestingly um, I watched a brilliant um, video a few months ago now because it's the same. You can't put cash in and you can't take cash out. If you go to see a cashier at a bank and say you want to take a couple of grand out, they'll ask you loads of questions. Like, what do you want the money for? And I saw this brilliant video where this bloke went to all these different banks taking out money. I think he was American. And they said, what do you want the money for? And he's like, oh, I'm, go I'm transitioning to be a woman and I need it for my sex change operation. Mm. And they're like, what? He said, yeah, I'm going to get boobs. I'm going to get this. I need my hormones. And they were like, okay, okay, just, just, just take the money, go. And then they said, and another branch said, what do you want the money for? He said, oh, I, I want to hire a high-class prostitute. And they're like, uh, okay, just take the money, just go. And I thought, it's genius. Let's try and beat them at their own game with a bit of humor, a bit of wit, a bit of sarcasm, a bit of bamboozlement, you know, because it, that's how we should take these institutions on, treat them with as a joke, because it is a joke. And if we're lucky we take that approach with them, we might be able to stave this off at the pass. Uh, well, yeah, we might be able to. Of course, there's so much momentum behind this now. That's the issue. Uh, the momentum is beginning to grind us into the into the, the stage where, uh, as you said before, the banks actually think that we work for them. And when we think about the fact that the entire economic crisis of 2008 was due to the irresponsible behavior of banks who were just lending in a crazy way uh it's it, it does and then and then of course the taxpayer bailed them out it does seem that something's gone horribly wrong you don't see many bankers who have gone bankrupt do you really uh thank you Gemma uh what do you make about what Gemma's saying in terms of the cashless society are you uh inclined to uh, potentially uh, fight back. Do you use cash uh, or do you find it just impossibly convenient just to use cards? I do use cards a lot, I have to say, but I'm beginning to be persuaded of the benefits of cash. Maybe you've got no concerns about the state knowing every purchase that you make. Maybe you've no concerns about the bank telling you you can't put your own money in if it's a big sum and they don't know where you got it. Let me know. Go to uh, the uh, chat at uh, tntradio.live. You can also phone in. If you've got time, uh, we'll get your calls uh, and comments uh, out on air here. You don't have to agree. Uh, this isn't about getting everyone to say the same thing. This is your chance to have free speech at the home of free speech, which is 
TNT Radio. You should hear what Chris Smith is talking about. Lomborg has long maintained that wealth and an abundance of energy sources are the key elements required to help the world solve threats to our existence, which is why he opposes the obscene amounts of money the United States, the UK, Europe and Australia are spending on climate change, which can only reduce that wealth and make us all weaker. Yes, climate has costs, but so do climate policies. We rarely talk about the fact that as we are making more and more climate policies, that also impacts us negatively. That actually pulls away resources from us. Just to take a look at energy prices here in the UK, energy prices have been coming down for the last two centuries, but now they're starting to go up because of climate policy. But why doesn't the mainstream media's political class ask those correct questions when politicians make humongous spending announcements on, for instance, renewable power? Where are the right questions? Like, what's the cost-benefit analysis of this project minister. They never ask the question. And you know why they don't ask the question? Because the left-leaning mainstream media, they're climate change evangelists as well. They don't want to find holes in such grand renewable plans because that's not part of the environmental narrative. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans. That's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. The human mind is like a computer, no matter how efficient it may be. Its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign promise. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it. TNT. Let me do a bit with you. It's 22 minutes past seven in the UK, Greenwich Mean Time. And it's between eight and 11 hours later than that in Australia. Wherever you are joining us from, thank you for joining TNT Radio, the home of free speech, where we light the fuse for freedom, as we say. Uh, do have your comments as well, uh, whatever it's about, uh, whether you have got your concerns about uh, the way that banks treat us or whether you are doubtful about the COVID vaccines. Maybe you have no problem with them at all. You have your chance to have your say at tntradio.live. Uh, the... Uh, the chat's gone pretty uh, amazing, really, actually. Jeff has said the black markets rely upon cash and the elites use the black markets more than just about anyone else. Uh, Holly agrees with what Gemma was saying before. Malibite says, quick tip, always carry two wallets and two mobiles if you can. Use an old uh, knackered phone as one to pass over if you get mugged by a group. Uh, in the spare wallet, just put some cards in there. The whole no details, etc., and a fiver or tenner uh, or so, which can also be handed over. Once they have been given these, they will be gone. That's a really good point, actually. It's a tragic thing that we have to have these coping strategies, I would point out. But there we go. Uh, when you deposit money into a bank, the money becomes theirs, says Mogden. And one more, Robert says, can't see governments banning alcohol. Too much revenue involved. Keep your calls and comments coming. Many more there. Uh, just one more from Jethro. I hate how the bank folks ask what you're going to spend your money on. I always say drugs and prostitutes. Well, okay. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you hear our next guest laughing at that. Jethro, I'm not sure if, if you, you mean it. Um, uh, it's said that uh, 
not just uh, George Best. He, he said that he spent his money on drugs, women, and alcohol, and he wasted the rest. Um, but anyway, there we go. Uh, somebody who does none of this uh, joins me now. It's Keith Prince. An up, uh, he's a upstanding member of society. Keith, good uh, morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Lambert. How are you? Now, you're, uh, I'm fine. I'm pleased to see you. Uh, I have uh, it here that you are a uh, an experienced uh, politician. Uh, for the Conservative Party on the Greater London Assembly. The question for you, therefore, is, in the light of Nigel Farage, who's a big, big name in British politics, going into mm-hmm. I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, which is a reality TV show, actually, as it happens, filmed in Australia, to what extent do you think it's legitimate for politicians to get involved in reality TV? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, Nigel Farage is not an elected politician. Uh, however, I do think that when you have these shows, you could be on it as long as six weeks. Unfortunately, Lembit, I don't think you were. I think you were only on for two weeks. <laughs> 16 days. Second, I did do that. Out. Out 16 <laughs> but, days. Uh, <laughs> so callous. It's so callous. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, you know, the bottom line is if you're an elected politician and, and you have a constituency, then I don't think it's right that you should be planning to take up to six weeks away from your constituency. Of course, we have holidays, but then uh, parliaments have holidays, local assemblies have holidays, and they're the times when you should take your break. You might want to catch a few days during the middle of the term when there isn't much going on, but to actually take six weeks when you're being paid from the public purse, I I think it's wrong. Uh, Then the response would be, in, in Nigel Farage's case, he isn't an elected member, so he hasn't got the taxpayer-funded income. But Nadine Doris, who is a Conservative member of Parliament, did go into the jungle as a sitting yep. MP. Matt Hancock, a Conservative member of Parliament, also went in as a sitting MP. You're saying that they made the wrong call. Well, so did the party because they removed the whip. Okay, so so they were both punished, yes, but Nadine Doris went on to be a minister after having served in the jungle, so it wasn't really much of a sanction, was it? Well, because you've broken the rules, it doesn't mean to say that your political career is completely over. Obviously, if you break certain rules, then your political career is finished, mm-hmm. but uh, you do deserve to be punished, and if she'd have lost the whip at the wrong time, then she may no longer be a member of parliament. But no, I, you know, I, I think it's wrong. I think if you are a member of parliament, you're paid to represent your people. You can't represent the public if you're stuck in a jungle somewhere. Uh, the response that you would maybe get, and I hear this all the time when people go into the jungle and their politicians is, well, it's a way to reach out to the public. It's a way of getting my message across. Do you have any sympathy with that argument? No, no. If I want to reach out to my public who elected me or get my message across to the public that elected me, then I go and knock on their door or I, I deliver leaflets through their doors. I can't be knocking on their door or delivering leaflets if I'm, you know, t- at the other end of the world, if I'm in Australia, wonderful as it it, it is, uh, I, I can't do that. So it's just it's just wrong. And if they've got casework, they want to phone me or they want to write to me or email me, I can't deal with any of that either. So, no, you know, I'm elected to represent the people, not to have jollies down under. Uh, the money's pretty substantial. Uh, last year, I believe that Matt Hancock donated the 
the money that he earned as an MP for that period to charity. I haven't checked whether he did it or not. That's what he said he would do. So I don't really want to get into that part. But fundamentally, with someone like Nigel Farage, who is not a professional politician, there's every chance that he will build his profile. Now, from his point of view, that makes quite a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because his party, Reform UK, is basically trying to gain votes from the Conservatives, let's be honest about that. And it could be that because of his particular personality, this will work out well for him. What's your, what's your view about his gambit? I don't have a problem with that. You know, Boris Johnson used to be on the I've I Got News For You, and that did wonders for his profile. Uh, I don't have a problem with people or politicians being on television, raising their profile, getting their message across. I have no problem with that at all. But if that involves spending time away from your constituency, I've got a problem. But if you're not an elected politician, if you're a wannabe politician, then you're free to do whatever you, you want, as long as it's within the law. Uh, okay, so in Farage's particular case, and I recognise for listeners around the world who don't know who Nigel Farage is, there's not a great benefit talking about him as an individual. But in his particular case, it might be tolerable. Where do you draw the line, though? You've just said that Boris Johnson was allowed to be, and it was entitled to be on Have I Got News For You, which is not exactly a reality show, but it's a satire show. So that would be okay. Would it be all right to do Strictly Come Dancing if you spend your weekends on it, for example? I don't see a problem with that if, if you're not leaving the country, if you're not locked away, because whilst you may have to spend your weekends there, you can still access your emails, you can still contact constituents, you're still in touch with them. I mean, being a politician is, as you well know, uh, a 24-7 job, and uh, but nonetheless, you still do have to have some time to yourself. Uh, and... Uh... That means it becomes quite nuanced then, though, doesn't it, Keith? Because you're saying that there isn't, an, in your view, an in-principle objection to doing reality TV. There's just an objection if you're not accessible. Yeah, basically, that's it. Because you are paid, uh, you're, you're elected, you get paid as a, as a result of being elected, but you're elected to represent your constituents. So as long as you're able to represent your constituents, then I don't see a problem with it. My problem is when you are isolated and you, for a long period of time, not just a week or two during the, the summer recess, but for a long period of time, when you're not accessible, that to me is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about a four week holiday with your family in Australia? Would that be acceptable? Well, probably not a few decades ago. Uh, I would say that if you were doing it during the period that parliament doesn't sit then possibly and again you're still able to access your emails you're still able to phone uh, your team in the uh, in your office and so yeah four week holiday in australia but i don't but, see a problem with that as long as you're contactable but, but, but once again the problem with this is you can spend four weeks down under but not if you're in the jungle. It's not going to be easy for you to get back to your constituency no. if there's an emergency. I mean, this is the problem. It's, I well, just think we get to the let, situation let's, where let's, there let's, isn't let, any let, principal problem let's, here at all. Well, let's 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 look at the facts. Uh, first of all, if there is a real 
urgency in your constituency, I think it takes you about a day to get back from Australia. You know, they've invented these things called jet aeroplanes. So they're very quick. So you can get back to your constituency within a day. And to be perfectly honest, there isn't very much a politician can do if there is an emergency in there their constituency anyway i mean they can be there they can talk to people but actually it will be the emergency services that are actually doing the doing the job but again of what i've said quite clearly that i would not agree to a four-week holiday down under if it was during the time when parliament or your assembly was sitting i wouldn't agree with that it's only if it's during the down period Mm -hmm. uh, I just think we got into the details there. I, I think it's a very nuanced position you're taking, Keith. I have to tell you, but uh, I can also say if somebody offered me one and a half million pounds to go into the jungle now as an MP, I'd probably have gone. I'm not going to lie. I probably would have gone. <laughs> Well, I would. I wouldn't actually. I wouldn't uh, if it was during my time. Uh, and when I was leader of Redbridge, I actually five years. I took three days holiday, and that was only because I got married and my wife insisted on going on honeymoon. But no, I, I, I think you know, if you're a public servant, as I am, and you were, then you have a duty. And if you don't want to accept that, if you don't want to accept the constraints and the trials and the tribulations of being a public servant, don't put yourself forward. Let someone else do it, because there's plenty of people who want to do it. I think that we kind of have to return to this as well. Thank you, Keith. That's Keith Prince, who uh, takes a principled position about this, says that if you can't be contacted, you shouldn't be doing something which isn't relevant to, to your political role. What do you think? Let me know. Uh, uh, coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about budgets and what drivers and others, would, drivers and workers, would like to see the Chancellor of the United Kingdom say in his autumn statement. All of that with me, Lemma Turpik, here on TNT Radio. Now, TNT Radio News. Uh-oh. Scandal. Huge news. This is very important. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Incredible footage has emerged of Iranian-backed militants hijacking a British-owned cargo ship in the Red Sea, which they say has links to Israel. Russian President Vladimir Putin was due to join an emergency video conference with BRICS leaders on Tuesday to discuss the ongoing war in Gaza. And former US President Donald Trump's suing 20 different media companies for $1.5 billion, accusing them of defaming his social media site. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT Radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT Radio. Greetings. Uh, that's uh, Keith, who's insisting on talking about the budget as well as a celebrity. Uh, let me pick here uh, with you. Uh, thanks for joining me. We were talking to Keith Prince about celebrity, but it's too good an opportunity to miss to ask Keith, who is a conservative politician, uh, uh, to talk about what could be or should be in the budget. Keith, your party, leaving aside all the questions about whether uh, politicians should be in the jungle, in the political jungle of Westminster, We've got a beleaguered prime minister who's trying to beat his way out of out of trouble. What needs to be in the budget this week for the Conservatives to change their fortunes? Uh, I think we need to see tax cuts. But I don't mean tax cuts for the rich. Actually, I think there are a lot of people in this country struggling right now. So I think the tax cut that should be made is around national insurance because that affects those less well off more. Uh, they, they get more. And there's a 
thing going around saying, oh, well, if you put in tax cuts, then that affects inflation. But quite frankly, if you give the money to those who are struggling at the moment, they won't be spending their money on new Ferraris. They'll be spending money on the absolute basics that they really need. So that, I don't think, will fuel inflation, quite frankly. So I'd like to see a proper conservative budget with tax cuts, tax cuts that benefit those that need them the most. And I think that could well be uh, a bit of a boost to our ratings. We say thank you. (laughs) We say thank you to Keith Prince, uh, who uh, I suspect knows more than we do about what's going to be in the budget. Uh, I think we can be pretty sure from what Keith has at the Tax cuts will be in his party's uh, budget. But let's move on to another interest group. In fact, an interest group containing 37 million people. Uh, and that is the uh, the driving community, uh, the, the road-using community. Joining us now, uh, we've got Bob Bull, who is the chair of the uh, Alliance of British Drivers. Uh, Bob, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, you've heard the talk about tax cuts and... I want to know your view. What's your opinion about what the driving community in Britain wants to see? I think really the the biggest thing we want is a democratic fair chunk of the money that's available. Um, We've been spending a lot of money on what I would call minority transport areas. Um, Don't even mention HS2, but certainly buses and other types of things that really don't support the majority of people. And I think in in the sense of money coming back to those that drive, we need investment in the roads. We need some of the uh, crazy rules being relaxed. It's not going to help giving every council in the country the right to take money from you for minor uh, issues with driving. And I think that sort of thing needs to be changed. Um, you know, the whole money seems to have been spent on bribing people to go for electric cars. And I mean, that that's run out of steam now. They've had to mm-hmm. stop the money anyway. Uh, it's I think the electric car thing is now going to sort of sit in a lull. Um, mm-hmm. They're still going to try and force it with the issue of the 22% being electric cars next year. All those things, they're not people's choices. And so... You know, the democracy of transport is is really being challenged all the time. And I think they should be looking more to give people their own choices. And some some people can then make choices that are financially based and work with what's being offered as opposed to being what's being told. Uh, the, the You mentioned the electric vehicles agenda. It looks like tax policy, tax and grants, so a stick and carrot approach where the stick is being used to dissuade you from having a petrol diesel vehicle uh, is coupled with a carrot, which is subsidies for electric vehicles. How do you feel that's working? And what do you think the Chancellor should do? Uh, or is he is he maybe doing the, the right thing by trying to get people to drive electric vehicles? Well, I think, it's, I think the problem is it doesn't work in the end. It has to be the right choice for people. People don't, you know, okay, they'll they'll take money when it comes, but it, there's not much of it left now to give out. But it's not the right choice for people, then they won't make it, and they'll rebel against it. And then that just causes problems. And I think money spent, I mean, they've spent millions on these persuasions or uh, sticks or grants or whatever you want to call them, and it, it's just really started it. 
you're only going to have a situation where people move to electric cars when it's the most obvious, easiest, and economically sound thing to do. They're not going to do it by being forced. Um, uh, is I think it's billions and billions that are drawn from the yeah. road yeah, users uh, already. Yeah. Uh, road users pay far more than the cost of the road system. Why is the road using community not able to express itself more loudly? That's a good question. It's, it's something as an association, we always wonder why we haven't got thousands and thousands of members. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether it's a British thing. I mean, I'm sure if it was in France, we'd have half the country behind us and, and be walking on the streets. Um, but, yeah. but it seems to be a bit of a British thing that they keep on putting up with things and then eventually they'll they'll tweak um and I, I think that's a, a worrying concern perhaps or should be a worrying concern for whatever parties in uh, power yeah because you, you, the line spirit divers has obviously become much more active recently I, i've noticed that myself but you'd think with 37 million road users you should be able to install any government you want and the government <laughs> couldn't be saying well you're gonna have electric vehicles you say well well Start off. <laughs> you're not yeah. going to vote for you yeah. then. We get somebody else instead. <laughs> yeah, I I think you're right, but I think to some extent that is starting to happen. I mean, I think they're going to have a real problem in the next set of people that they want to buy electric cars. I mean, they're still bribing uh, fleets and people that are uh, getting relaxation of taxation due to to the electric car and off still not being taxed at the same rate as petrol cars. But once all that runs out and they realize they've got to start taxing them exactly the same, then why why would people change? Where, where's the benefit for it? I mean, they didn't ask for it. They're being told. And I think the people that want to have done it, and I think the rest of the world, which is a lot, um, are going to be very reluctant to change. Where's the advantage? What, what's, the, what's in it for me? Why would I change to an electric car? I, I can't think of a good reason yet. Uh, do you think that the Conservatives can persuade road users uh, to vote for them on the basis that Labour Party's policies are even worse? Yeah, well, that's right. That's right, really. It's a, it's a bit of a problem at the moment as to who you would pick. I mean, the Welsh thing has, has, has clearly shown with the 20 miles an hour that they're not interested in democracy. Um, when more people vote against it than actually voted for the party that are putting it in, it, it is quite an extraordinary situation. Um, and I think it's it just builds more conflict. I would imagine, I don't know, I don't know any policemen, but I would imagine the police are a little bit worried that they're going to be actually trying to force something in. And apparently even the firemen are going to be used to uh, to install this 20-mile-an-hour rules in Wales. I think they're going to be a bit worried that they're actually doing something that the public don't want, and, and that never mm -hmm. succeeds. Um, you know, in the end, that breaks down. And in the end, do you think that the Conservatives will be able to turn things around? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's. Uh, I think it's. I think it could be closer than I think it. Some people think. I mean, if he goes mad on some tax rebates in this budget, maybe he get a few votes back. But um, I think at the moment, unfortunately, it's for Labour to lose rather than for uh, for the Tories to win. Thank you. That's Bob Bull from Lions British Drivers. We also thank Keith Prince, uh, the Conservative Greater London Assembly member, for his views as well on celebrity and also on the budget. Want to know your views? Do put them into the chat. Uh, yes, Holly, I did say Matt Hancock. 
you may not like him, but I know him socially. <laughs> Doesn't mean I agree with what he does, uh, but uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, Madrid says, uh, knock on doors, exactly not had a local MP ever knock on my door. Uh, that's fair enough. Lots of comments and uh, calls, uh, lots of comments coming through there. Uh, uh, Doris is a vile individual, just like his like his padre uh, is uh, Madrid's point of view. Nadine Doris is actually leaving politics, of course, but there we go. Uh, right, uh, we're going to uh, continue about the budget in just a short while. I'm Lemmy Turpit. This is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Thanksgiving's less than a week away, and if you're planning on taking your kids to the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the Macy's Parade in New York City, or watching it on TV with the kids... Think again, give serious consideration, because Fox News reports that as of Tuesday, 20,000 outraged people have signed a petition posted by one million moms protesting the inclusion of two Broadway shows in the parade, both of which featured transgender and non-binary performers in major roles. Yes, indeed. Think again. Here's Kristen Wagoner with Alliance Defending Freedom. Just another example of an ideological war that's being waged on families and customers are saying they've had enough, but it seems that corporate brands that were once trusted just still aren't getting the message. So I think you're seeing parents stand up, rise up and say, we're going to parent and we expect our family friendly events to truly be family friendly and not teach our children values that we object to. We need to understand very clearly that these ideologies that are being peddled in films and in our school systems are designed to pit children against their parents. And it's time for parents to not stand on the sidelines, but to truly use their influence. Folks, don't let your kids be indoctrinated. Find something else to do. Don't let them watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Make sure you tune into my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio. What do I love about riding? It's the thrill. The excitement. Riding gives me a sense of freedom. I feel so connected to the road. Riding is like therapy to me. It makes me feel alive. Love riding? Back off. Lembit Opic on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Lembit Opic with you. It's quarter to eight in the morning in the United Kingdom, uh, eight to 11 hours later in Australia. Welcome, all points in between also, to the home of free speech. Now, we've been talking about the pending budget. Uh, what's all that about? Uh, what should be in the government's plans? Lots of debate about whether those just about managing or not managing in this country can get anything enough, motivating enough from the government to potentially vote for them. Uh, joining me now is the General Secretary of the Workers of England Union, Stephen Morris. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. Tell us about your union. What's it do? Uh, well, we're a general union, so we represent employees' interests in England and Wales. Um, and we've been going for about 14 years. Um, we really came to prominence as the only trade union that we're representing people who were threatened with dismissal for not taking the jab or uh, wearing masks. We, we were the only ones there defending people's rights. We're there to defend people's free speech. Uh, we do quite a lot of cases on that. Um, where a lot of the other trade unions have a political agenda, we're politically neutral. 
So we're not interested in what a person's political views is. We, we're just there to represent their interests. And, and that's what a trade union is supposed to do. Um, what you'll find now as we mm-hmm. go into the discussion is that a lot of the other trade unions are looking at how to attack the current government to bring their own Labour Party in because that's who they support. We don't support either one. The people we support is the worker. And that's that's our sole aim. So we operate very much like a legal firm but on trade union regulations. So, so you're quite a big. I looked at your turnover. It's quite substantial. It's around half a million a year. So, quite a, a powerful union and growing fast. In that context, what do your members want from the government and the budget, if anything? Well, they, they really want cuts. They need something that takes eases the strain off them. Because obviously, we've seen them all struggling over the last few years with um, heating costs. Uh, keeping roofs over their heads, fuel costs, which, yeah, it's, it's kind of balanced out a little bit at the moment with the fuel costs, uh, but it's what they're taking home in the pay packet because that, that has a, a knock-on effect for everything. If people haven't got money to spend, then the economy slows up. The, the rest of the uh, sectors start to slow. You can't spend it in the shops, so the shops start to struggle, and it has a real knock-on effect. And to me, what the government should be doing is really put if they want to go bold, then they need to put tax cuts and uh, incentives right across the board, right from the businesses uh, to people taking uh, more home in the pay packet. Um, as Because we've seen increases in uh, child poverty. We've seen increases in food banks. Um, the only thing the government seems to increase at the moment is spending on pet projects or foreign aid and, and things that don't matter to people here at the moment, here and now. So they, they really want to take that ease off their pay packet, mm-hmm. take take things home and be able to um, spend the money and be a little bit more comfortable in, like I say, running the household and being able to buy the stuff, which will then trigger other businesses to, to continue and not close. And, and, and that's yeah. what we're seeing that people are asking for. Um. So, yeah, one of the problems I've got, and I've always had this problem, Stephen, about budgets, they, they sound quite dramatic when they're being read out, but a 1% or 2% change in income tax isn't really going to make a big difference to a person's life, is it? No, but we're talking right across across the board. We're not just talking income tax, you know, business rates, the, the full works, right, and VAT. They've got to go bold. What, what's been happening over the last 14 years of Conservatives and uh, it, it's not been working. We know, we've seen it's not been working. National debt is massively increasing. I think it hit just over the 100% mark in March. Mm-hmm. So what they are doing is not working. I think the only thing that Liz Trust had right was to, to <laughs> say it has been working and to go bold. You know, we needed mm-hmm. something out of the ordinary. We've been doing this for decades now. Um, and it just doesn't seem to be going because we had the issues in 2008, 9 and 10 with the with Labour at the end of that. Then we've had all the austerity years with the Conservatives and they're all talking the same language and the same language doesn't work. You know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're going to um, give a shot to the economy, you've got to give it a big shot. You can't just tinker about at the edges. And, and that's why we would say go ball, not just for the take on pay of the individual but really help the businesses as well and and that's where we need need to go and obviously things like 
hitting small businesses at the moment. We have mm-hmm. this net zero that needs to be put on hold completely because the the money that's being spent on all these camera systems for for these traffic cams and that it's it's mm-hmm. horrendous and people can't afford afford that. Uh, it's okay if you're in London where you may have a, a decent public transport system uh, to go. But people up here where I am in Greater Manchester, it's not. I, I can't just walk out and get a bus within the next 15 minutes. It yeah. just doesn't occur. Um, and so if people are struggling with the day-to-day living, and, and that's mm-hmm. what we need to do, not just the individual, but the businesses as well. Give, give everybody a shot in the arm and say, right, this is what this is what we're going to do, and let's see if it works. You know, I, I have a bit, I'm always a little bit... Um, um, skeptical about the government anyway because yeah. one of the things I've, I've always said for the last few years and this was during the, the covid stuff as well since when did people start mm-hmm. believing the government you know it's just so so whenever they come out with various rhetoric they all want headlines headlines uh, on what they're going to yeah. do yeah. and labor's doing very well at that on the headlines through their social media stuff but one of the mps let slip when they were asked how they're going to finance it? One of the sorry, one of the new candidates for MP, and they said we don't know. So they've actually let slip. They don't know how they're going to fund it all. So, <laughs> um, this country's in a mess, honestly. Yeah, which is mess. very similar to the Diane Abbott school of um, economics, into you know, um, of yeah, mathematics, yeah. where uh, people like that, in who's been in government positions, haven't got a clue about the basics of adding up, and. But this is it. They go for the headline and they hope the headline grabs them the vote. And then when you vote vote for them, you find actually nothing's going to change. And soon, obviously, Sunak was was there under, uh, has been in the background under Cameron and Truss and the others. And mm-hmm. I have a real issue with Cameron because obviously he's not, he's not elected. He's not elected. He has no authority whatsoever. He didn't have any authority from his own MPs to, to get elected um and i think that's a, a real problem and it, it's going to be gone anyway um, one way or the other after the next election whether labor win or whether the conservatives decide to kick him out but all you're doing you do you're just regurgitating the same old same old all the way mm-hmm. and for me we've got to make sure people take more home in the pay packet help the businesses mm-hmm. um and with any household, it goes back. It's one of the, it goes back to one of the phrases Margaret Thatcher said, mm-hmm. wasn't it? It's, it's about how you run your own house. It's not necessarily how much you earn; it's how much you're spending. And yeah. we've got to look at where we're spending. You've got to look at uh, what the, the pet projects are doing. We, although they've tried to cut down foreign aid, David Cameron came and said, "Well, we need more billions for foreign aid." And then yeah. Yeah. a couple of days after he mentioned that, he's tried to roll back on it. Well, we mm-hmm. haven't got these billions to spend all over the place. And we've been giving them to countries that actually have a far stronger economy of greater economy than us. You know, like why are we giving India, you know, money? Mm-hmm. Why are we giving, oh, at the time, I think it stopped now, but at the time we was giving China money. Why? Mm-hmm. You know, they, these are not, these are con- these are economies that are in direct opposition mm-hmm. to us. They're, they're trying to take our businesses. Yeah. Um, so, We've got to look at where we're spending the money. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to look at um, cutting that back. Obviously, they've, they've spent an absolute fortune on the pay mm-hmm. for the public sector. Um, yeah. But it's the private sector that actually generates the income. The, the, the public sector doesn't generate any new income 
for the government because it's just money going around in a circle. You know, the government, if if I'm a, a public employee, the government gives me money, whatever I spend it on, whatever tax is generated, goes back to the government. So it's just a, a vicious circle. And so we've got to get the, the um, private sector working and manufacturing, generating jobs. If you're generating jobs, you're taking people off the benefits benefit system yeah. or reducing the benefit bill. So you're going to therefore <clears throat> reduce that outgoing from the government. But then you're also going to get taxed in as well. So the, so to me, they've got to really go bold. And this is what we're hearing, that they, they, they really need a change. Uh, from your tone, I, sound, I, I sense that you're not very optimistic, Stephen. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, uh, I think uh, it's that old phrase with these two, isn't it? You can't put a fag paper between them. Um, and I'm, like I say, you've got to look at the detail. A lot of people don't look at the detail. It's headline. And people have had enough of the Conservatives. Um, they, they think that they're in complete disarray. They don't know what they're doing. Um, Sunak really doesn't just doesn't have a clue. The problem is Labour's no better. Uh, Labour's actually in a, a bad, bad state. These massive infighting, obviously, we've seen that over the uh, Israel and Palestine issue that, that's occurred. Uh, they seem to be more bothered about that than trying to help people here. You know, yeah, they, it it's, comes under our, say, our foreign responsibilities to look at trying to resolve that best we can. Um, but it seems to have took the headline away from what's occurring here. And we, we need to say, well, hang on, you've got to look at look at the detail. That, that's what my dad always, my dad was self-employed in the building trade. And I never actually knew what he voted for. I mean, mother once told me, he said, well, he just goes to the ballot box and looks who's who's going to give him the best deal. Right. Mm -hmm. And then votes yeah, accordingly, yeah. you know, yeah. but at the moment he looked at the detail. But at the moment people are looking at the headline. They, they're looking at how bad the Conservatives are and, oh, well, we've had 14 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had a few yeah, years with a yeah. coalition, but we've yeah. had 14 years. We need something different. But the only thing you're going to get different is a red rosette instead of a blue. <laughs> all, all <laughs> it's really that stuff. bad? You really think it's that <laughs> yeah, bad? Yeah, that's, that's the way it seems here. Um, they've got no money to do it. They can't do it. So you're going to be in the same situation. The, the Labour Party is going to be in the same situation that the Conservatives were in in uh, 2010. Uh, because they came in and obviously the obviously it was coalition and but they had all the, the financial problems of what the Labour Party had done for the previous years before that including 2008 crash and everything Labour's going to have the same problem that they if they come in they're going to have the, the financial problems that the Conservatives have created yeah. so you're not going to get anything better unless they, they go and change something completely different and that means having a big shot in the arm with um, puts to help the the worker, the individual, yeah. the businesses uh, right across Stephen, the board, and just say Stephen let's Morris, go for it. Thank you, Stephen Morris. We'll have you back for sure to talk more about this after the statement. Uh, that's Stephen Morris, Workers of England Union. Uh, coming up next, uh, we're going to get more from Gemma Cooper uh, here on TNT Radio, and also with me. Keep your chat and your comment coming. Go to tntradio.live. I'd uh, love to hear your points of view on the budget, on COVID, and whether celebrities and politicians can mix in reality TV shows. All of that with me, Lambert Topic, on TNT Radio. Mm -hmm.